friends, welcome back. It's another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. I'm so happy it's Wednesday, a new show drops. And you guys know this show, this is where I sit down with the world's top creators and entrepreneurs and thought leaders and I do everything I can to unpack their brains and help you live your dreams in career, in hobby, and in life. I vet my guests very carefully and today's guest is Charlie Hone. Alright, there's two camps here, people who know Charlie and people who don't. If you're in the camp that knows Charlie, then... Let me put a pin in this for a second because you know why he's amazing. If you don't know Charlie, Charlie wrote, was written two books, one called Play It Away and the other called Play for a Living. Play It Away changed my life. And it's very, very simple. That's one of the things I love about it. So that's, you know, it's my goal to have people on the show that have directly or indirectly, but obviously as much as possible have directly impacted, you know, the way I see the world or have shaped some opinions or have helped me in some way. Charlie's book called Play It Away basically helped me uncork so much of my creativity just through daily play. A little bit of backstory on Charlie. So I originally met Charlie because he was working for Tim Ferriss and previously Ramit Sethi. So both of those guys are close friends of mine, um, have been for years and years. And, you know, anyone who's worked for both of them, I was like, oh, wow, I found out he was working for Tim and I want to meet this guy because I know what it takes to work in that environment. I'm looking across the table here at the podcasters. NASA helps me pull all this stuff together and in this world, the folks who are able to work at that pace and as intensely as folks like Tim and Ramit and others, myself included, work, it takes a very special person. And Charlie, uh, his story about working in that environment is both in invigorating and inspiring. And also, it's really scary because he talks a lot of and he's very, very vulnerable in his book and, and on this talk about what it took. And he revealed that he started taking uh, drugs that fighter pilots take to stay awake in order to manage the amount of work that was coming in. We met at an event, and shortly thereafter, he basically quit all that stuff and decided to take care of himself. And he he worked on so many different aspects. He saw therapists. He, he you know he, he shares this story in depth, and I'll, I'll let the podcast speak for itself. But in short, he found that play was one of the things, one of the few things that actually got him out of that bad, bad spot. And he applies this concept uh, to so many areas of his life. We talk in this episode about um, how play, because of Charlie and his work, play is now a daily habit of mine. I literally track, did I play effectively or not every single day? And we also talk a lot about family. Uh, Charlie's in the middle of raising a family or you say raising a family? You're raising children. Yeah, growing a family. And, um, and he talks about how he sort of brings sort of how he segments some of his family exercises, like the work that has to get done to plan and to, you know, to accommodate all the things that a family requires and also how they can build in joy and the stuff that, you know, if you commingle those things, sometimes everything's a B, but this is like you get an A plus on the planning and you get an A on the joy. Um, I just found his strategies for, for parenting and how to be in a relationship to be extra powerful too. So you're going to love this episode Play has changed my life. His new book, Play for a Living, is a beautiful piece of artistry as well. I can't wait for you to spend a little bit of time here with Charlie. And uh, without further ado, let's get into the episode. But before we do, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show 
possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits, and today Creative Live, as a part of the sponsor announcement, wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free, and they let you watch all of the Creative Live classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own, and on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super, <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash apps. There you go. Now, let's get into the show. Chase, thanks well, for having me, Welcome buddy. to the show. <laughs> Thank this you. is gorgeous. It is. Isn't it came it? out really beautiful. It Thank feels you. so good. Um, sorry, before I'm like lusting over the book <laughs> here on camera. Um, a, welcome to the show. B, it's been like a year. Yeah, it's um, been a long time. Yeah, a lot's happened for you. You just re- released the book. Self-published. Yes. That's, I think, an incredible. I want to talk a little bit about that. But for folks who, uh, maybe we can go back to when we first met, which is probably like, was it 2000, it was single digits, 2008, nine maybe, or? Did we, oh yeah, we met at- uh, uh, Tim's thing. Tim's party, yep. yeah, that's right. So you wanna we'll take, take folks back to a little bit about your past and our meeting and then we'll go from there. Yeah, Tell so um, should I begin to like- uh, Wherever you wanna begin, Okay. at the beginning, you were um, born in- Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, um, so I, Got out of college in 2008 mm-hmm. during the recession, and like a lot of my friends, was sort <laughs> of expecting. We were sort of expecting things to just kind of fall into place pretty mm-hmm. easily, and they did not for many reasons. And I spent a few months applying to jobs that yeah, I thought I was supposed to apply to on <laughs> Career Builder, uh, Craigslist, and stuff yep. like that. And what was Doubly demoralizing was I, I didn't want the jobs first of all really, uh, but none of them responded, and so and this was happening with all of my friends and we were like what are what are we gonna do this yeah, is just, I just sunk all this time and energy into college yeah yeah no one had really taught us how to properly get people's attention like Norton got your yes attention, you know yes. so um, so I told my family I just want to spend the next few months like just doing what I want to do, trying to work with people that I really admire. And if something comes of it, great. If not, I'm back to where I am. Yeah, and you would have gotten some value in the interim for, you know, so yeah. while you were chasing that. Right, okay. yeah. And I told, I actually told him I'll, I'll go be like an oil landman or something. Yep. Uh, <laughs> guaranteed job. Anything. That you're, that you're making pretty good money. Um, so I, I got really lucky. Seth Godin was doing a virtual internship at that time. 
So I, I was able to be one of, I think 200 people initially signed up and I was one of like a dozen that were left at wow. the end uh, that stuck with it. And so wow. he promoted us on his blog and that was my first toehold into the working world. So I started getting uh, job offers through that and then I started working with Ramit Sethi uh -huh. and offered to help him with his video stuff. Yep. And, um, and then I started working with Tucker Max, and I offered to all of these guys that I'd, I'd work with them for free, and I would give them a gift, basically. I would say, here's, here's something you can use in your business right now. That, so for Ramit, for instance, I made him uh, a speaking demo reel that he could use to get speaking gigs. And, and that's before you knew Ramit, right? Or is right. that, yeah, yeah. This, was, this was sort of to get their attention? Yeah, so we, we had emailed a number of times back and forth, but we hadn't really hung out or talked much. Yeah. Um, so it was just to get their attention to build a portfolio piece. And uh, long story short, I ended up working with Tim Ferriss. Ramit and Tucker both introduced me to Tim Ferriss, said you ought to work with him. I ended up being his first full-time employee, his director of special projects, and uh, did a number of crazy, crazy <laughs> things with him. And that's, that's how we met. Uh, okay, I'm going to trace back a couple of steps because yeah. so it's my goal at the show to help people like get into the things that they care about and whether that's as a hobby or as a career and so many folks um, that are that are fans of the show, uh, the podcast, they don't know where to get started. And what you just said, I think, in a world where uh, jobs are um, scarce and mercurial and or um, we are doing th shitty things that we aren't um, that we aren't programmed to do, or we're following some sort of cultural norm. And I think it's interesting. Before we go further, I think it's interesting that you experienced that and decided to try and break out of that mode. I think that's a, a mode that so many people. There's this realization, especially now with information moving so fast, you can see a lot of people tapping into their dreams, mm -hmm. and then when you're just kind of grinding at this job that you don't love, that's slowly wearing you down. That creates this sort of anxiety gap between what you're doing and what you want to do, and you see other people who are doing the things they're supposed to be doing. How intentional was that? Where you where you realize that I, I heard something in your opening sort of salvo there that it's like. I was doing the things I was supposed to do. So talk, me, talk to me about that, because I think that's a huge thing for the folks at home. Totally, yeah, so it was extremely intentional mm -hmm. and uh, occasionally uncomfortable. So like, my, my mom thought it would be a good idea to go back and get my MBA, mm -hmm. uh, that it was like a, a good time to do that since no one was really hiring. And I just thought there's no way that another degree is going to solve this problem of me looking like everybody else that's coming out of uh, college. Yeah. So um, it was really intentional and I, I, knew, I knew who I was sort of at the core was somebody yeah. who was uh, an ideas person, a creator and I just wasn't seeing anything that fit me on any job listing site. Yeah. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Right? You're supposed to like lock in and see your thing and like go all in and I want to be a doctor or a lawyer or a whatever you see in the world. And if right. you don't see that, I think that's one of the things 
Um, you know, I just had Brene Brown on the show. We were talking about um, for for people of color or in, in gender imbalances, like you need to see your role models in your thing, and without that, it's it's frustrating and you know, yeah, anxiety you feel creating. a little crazy. Yeah, and yeah. anxiety creating, and uh, you said I think you said demoralized was a word you said earlier. Like, and so if you're not seeing yourself in the image of the things that you're setting out to do as a career. You have to change that, and yeah. maybe that was the impetus. Well, for you. it was it was just so frustrating too because the whole I- implicit promise is like if you go through these series of steps yeah. for seventeen years of your yeah. life, it will work yeah. out, and then the rest is like there you, you go, yeah, gold a, watch forty years later <laughs> right. and retire. Yeah. yeah, so it was actually the best thing that could have possibly happened to be hit with that. Like, no, that's not how things work. You yeah. actually have to try and strive to. If you want a remarkable life, that there is no prescription for that. There's no recipe. You just need to go and create it yourself. And who better to learn from than the guys that I was working with? They, they were as close to role models as I could see. Well, also implicit in that story is, um, is that you were aware of the things that you liked. You said earlier you, you knew who you were and that you, at somewhere in there you're like, I'm not this, maybe nine to five is not the right, I'm not you know, cut out for the corporate world or whatever. Right. Yeah. And when you have heroes and role models and or people that you aspire to, to either be around as a part of the community or look and act like, um, talk about how important deconstructing their lives was to you finding out what was important or what you wanted to do. Hmm. Like were you looking at Ramit and like, what did Ramit do? Well, Ramit sort of hacked his way into creating a career for himself. And- yeah, yeah. It was really that they just had done, all of them to me had walked away from the, the typical path, the yeah. conventional path. And I wasn't, I didn't want to do this just to be contrarian. I just yeah. felt like I was on their wavelength. Yeah. And I felt like these were guys that I, I could play with on the same level someday. Yep. And so I wanted to get there as quickly as possible. And so uh, I remember actually with Tucker, I didn't discover Tucker through his funny stories that were super popular, you know, yep. for college kids. I, I remember reading an essay that he wrote called uh, Why You Shouldn't Go to Law School. And I read it, and it was, it, it was around that time that I, I was feeling a little bit of pressure to maybe get an MBA. And so I read that, and I was like, oh, this is truth. Yeah. Like, and and I, love, I love that about Tim, too. Yeah. It's a lot of the stuff he was saying was very um, office space, fight club-esque. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, yep. it, it captured what a lot of people were feeling. And... I don't know, man. People, kids are smart. They can yeah. pick up when when uh, adults are not crazy about the life that they've chosen for themselves, and you you get that yeah. sense early on in your life. Speak- and I'm sure you got that at some point as yeah, well. Yeah, it's like speaking truth. You know, you yeah. can you can hear the truth from bullshit, and uh, maybe your truth also, you know, embedded in there when the people are living the, their their dreams. It's very. Um, intoxicating and inspiring and gives you energy you know energy is I'm a huge believer in energy not necessarily not not this but not like oh I can feel your chakra or blah blah blah. (laughs) like it's just energy like having some is required (laughs) to do whatever you care about yeah and it's 
the, those things, it's a cycle, right? When you see things that inspire you, you get energized. When you have energy and you do those things, you get re-energized and energy is the thing that propels you. Yeah. Versus, you know, when you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing or what you don't love and it's draining to you. Yes. And when something drains you, not only does it not give you the gas tank, but there's a psychological spiral down, which is a miserable and scary place. Yeah, to you grow to resent yourself. You yeah. grow to resent the people around you because you start to think like, oh, they're, they're part of the reason why I'm here. And like, <laughs> you're keeping me down. <laughs> right. um, well, so again, go back, going back to your opening salvo, talking about like seeing people in the world, all of whom that you mentioned have been on the show, Ramit, Tim, Seth, um, all you know, exemplary, exam exemplary examples, can you say exemplary that? Exemplary examples. <laughs> um, of, uh, of you know, what the show, what uh, I think what Creative Live stands for. Um, if, if you look at the work that you did there, relative to what you thought you would have gotten if you would have followed the path that your mom asked you to go on, which is go spend another you know, two years, 40, 50 grand a year to get an MBA. Um, contrast, where, <laughs> contrast where you went and what you learned versus you know, the traditional path. I mean, it's, <laughs> you can't compare You can't, it's, it's like. It's, it's totally different worlds, but um, so, with, let's see, so with Ramit, so, so the question is basically like, what's the difference between if I had gotten an MBA versus where I went? Yeah, yeah. and maybe it's theoretical versus practical, yeah. or maybe it's like the, the real world grind, or you get to see behind the scenes of what yeah. it actually takes versus learning about case, like, I don't know, yeah. just, yeah. because I think what people are, like, people are sitting at home right now, and they're having the same conversations, they're like, their parents are saying you need to go to school, or okay. their employer is, they're in a bullshit job and their employer's saying, yeah, you know, the best chance you have to get a raise is to go get your MBA right. or to get your advanced degree. And okay. maybe it is in that field, but I think there's something about the practicality of, of like doing shit, of, you know, it's, it's more a portfolio world now than a resume world. Yes. Is maybe 100%. at the core of the yeah. question. So. So what yeah. are some of the things that you picked up on? In so, so for people watching this who are in that position, uh, they might feel that getting another credential is the safe path, that throwing down another $100,000 in debt uh, is, is actually safer, right? Mm -hmm. In your face. Yeah, it it's just, yeah, the, it's it, not, but that's the narrative, though. That's, what, that's why the face I made. The, for those of you listening, I just made a bad face. Sorry. <laughs> so I, the way I viewed it was, these guys generally are probably not going to, I wanted to work with them so I could get the behind the scenes so I yep. could actually see it. Yeah. And you can actually read the email, the first email that I sent to Tim Ferriss, uh -huh. uh, breaking down like, here's what I want, here's, here's what I can provide for you, here's why I want what I want, uh, and here's what I'm willing to do to make this happen. And I basically said, I just wanna be able to see entrepreneurs doing their thing the way that I could see myself doing my thing someday. I want to know how that's done. And um, so I offered to work for free for them because I knew it was more valuable than paying $100,000 for a degree where I could study some case studies and learn how to write a business plan. You know? Yeah. So 
my life, if I'd gone the MBA path, I would not have the confidence in myself to know that I could play the game, right? It would all be theoretical. Yeah. I'd be $100,000 poorer. $100,000 poorer. With less confidence and still not know what it took to do the thing. And still, <laughs> right. And still in, in this little uh, safety net that isn't really real. Yeah. Um, I also gained relationships that immeasurable yeah. the value. Uh, and I was explaining, somebody asked me the other day, what was it like working uh, with Tim Ferriss? Like, what was the, the big change, the transformation that you had? And I said, you know, the thing that I really took away from it more than anything, he expanded my brain. Like, he expanded what I thought was possible in the world. A lot of people read the four-hour work week and they're yeah. like, what? But hanging out with him was like 10 times that. Yeah. Because of the people he introduces you to, the the opportunities that he get, the work that he would hand off to me. Yep. It's just stuff that I would have never uh, done on my own. Yep. There is no company in the world that would have handed me those things at the time. Yeah. There probably are some now because they've seen like, oh, that's, that's a new thing. <laughs> there's a market there. <laughs> right. But uh, at the time, it was like, I can't believe this is my job. This is unbelievable. It's amazing. It was, it was my dream job. So... Uh, I'm gonna grab the ball for a second. Say, um, Tim. Tim and I've been friends for all, I don't know, probably going on more than 10, more than ten years now. Uh, shortly after the four hour work for our work week, yeah, came out, and a mutual friend introduced us. And when he, he had an event, and at the event, I remember very clearly meeting you. It was an event for maybe a hundred people or something, and. Um, really fun, interesting people who now I'm thinking back like, oh my God, those are like, that's where I met Neil Strauss and that, you know, just a really fun cross-section of people. And I remember very clearly being introduced to you and it's like, oh, I can tell that dude is on a mission. He is an amazing executor and all the shit that's happening around us is, you know, largely as a result of the work that Charlie's doing. And I'm an idealist, a dreamer, um, and uh, I've always worked to pair myself with people who had a passion for the executing. Like my wife, Kate, is a producer. She makes stuff happen. And, you know, to be able to combine those tools. And then we, we each get, like, I get a little producer um, love or, or, I guess, um, vibe <laughs> right, right from here, organs. from Kate, yeah, <laughs> and she gets a little idea thing from me, and we both sort of lift one another up, yeah. and I, I felt like I saw that in you. You were, you know, running the entire event, and and I could, for some, some reason, uh, just I felt connected to you, and you were sponging all this stuff up, uh, and then I realized later, by reading some of your work, that you know, you were pegged, you were at 11 in sort of both a good way and a bad way. Yeah. So, you know, we went through the romance of, all right, you got your dream job and you work with all these great guys yeah. and, and, you know, men and women who are doing things that you loved. But let's hear the flip side of yeah. that coin for a I was going to say when you were like, I was feeling the love, I was like, could have been the drugs. Yeah, <laughs> could have been the drugs. Yeah, <laughs> that so, I was on. Right. So yeah. Talk to me about that for a second. I think that's a thing that's important for people to know. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I I hit this peak with working with Tim. You know, we had this uh, 
wonderful, he had this wonderful success with the four-hour body. Mm -hmm. We got through that launch. And then the next project was the event that you mentioned, opening the kimono, uh -huh. which is a book marketing event for about, yeah, 130 entrepreneurs, people all over the world flew in. They paid a lot of money to come to this event. Yep. And I think I was 24, 25 at the time. I'm 31 now. Okay. And so my experience in throwing events was like keggers in college. And so <laughs> I was a little freaked out yeah. how this was going to go. And so in the months leading up to that, I fortunately had help from, do you remember Susan Dupre? Begley. She, she was like working right next to me during that whole event. She reached out to me before that event and she said, I'll help you th throw this event for free. And her background was she had just helped uh, Steve Jobs launch the original iPhone. And yes, right. Yeah. Oh, that's the right. Biggest event. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I remember her. I remember yeah. her. Now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That was the connective tissue I was missing. Yeah. And so she had an amazing background. Like that was one thing of many that she had under her belt. And wow. so she helped me a ton. I couldn't have done it without her. Still, it was, it was stressful knowing the, the roster that was coming to that event and what kind of event it was. And so as the event got closer, I just was like, I can't afford to sleep during this entire event. If something goes wrong, I need to be up. I need to fix it. Uh, I don't necessarily have anybody else who can be like as on top of the ball during this as myself. So you I just knew all the ins and outs. And yeah, area. yeah. And so I secretly ordered from an Indian pharmaceutical company uh, some some smart drugs that were originally designed to keep fighter pilots awake for multi-day missions, and now they give them to people with narcolepsy <laughs> to prevent them from spontaneously falling asleep. And wow. I was on that for for four days. I got a total of six hours of sleep. In four days? In four days, which your body is designed, for every two hours you're awake, you have to be asleep for one. I was at a, uh, for every 16 hours I was awake, I was sleeping one. Which is it's a bad ratio. <laughs> it's horrible. I can do math, and that right. is a bad ratio. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason that uh, that we torture prisoners of war by sleep deprivation. Yeah, yeah, it's the worst. It's the worst. So, is it fair to say? I don't want to. Well, I am. I'm going to take the liberty of putting some words in your mouth now. Did that just bust you wide open, or was that the it, first? Was that like a, a tipping point that you realized that oh my god, this is not sustainable, and what am, what am I doing? Yeah, I think it was really the the push that set me over the edge. Yeah. And it, I mean, leading up to it, it wasn't like I was like, yeah, I'm getting 10 hours of sleep a night. It was, <laughs> right. it, I was pushing it hard and yeah. I was drinking a ton of coffee. I was sitting yeah. still all day, hammering stuff out on the computer. Uh, I, would, I would go to a cafe in the morning and stay till night and have happy hour there at night and like, you know, I was living with, uh, my roommate was, one of my roommates was in the financial industry and he was working even longer than I was. Wow. So he was getting up at 4.30 in the morning. He was coming home at one. Wow. Yeah. Like it, this was the norm yeah. around, it's, it, it, was, it was almost the celebration. Was it in New York or where were you? Where I were was you in San Francisco. Got it. Yeah. And, and I was actually working remotely at the time because Tim was traveling around. So yeah. I had to really have the discipline and the way that I was doing that a lot of the time was just like stimulants yeah. mostly, which is 
you know. <laughs> here we are. Yeah, here we are <laughs> sipping iced coffee. Sipping, sipping it nice about it. and slow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And enjoying it. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, I I did not take care of myself, and you know, I I really think that it it wouldn't have mattered whether I was working with Tim or somewhere else. I was working at a startup. Like it would have happened eventually. Yeah. That's just my personality and but I think it's all that's part of the connection that I'm trying yeah. to make for the folks at home is that it sure there's a personality component of it but there's also a cultural yeah component of it's it true. and it's really like it's we have to find a way to understand what the culture is programming us and feed ourselves different information because yeah. culture says you're not enough you're not worthy um, you're comparing your dirty laundry to everybody else's highlight reel. You know, that's what social does. There's so, all kinds uh, of grass positive. is permanently always greener on yep. the other side. Yeah, on the other side. And, and you know, in hearing and unpacking a little bit about your story, um, I'm, and I guess, you know, so many people who are guests on the show, the goal is to say that, hey, look at, we all put our pants on the same way and we're all experiencing the same message so what can we you know what do people who have found a way to break through what sort of things do they tell themselves right. how, what's their self-care routine right. what are they dreaming about and how do they protect against the downsides of culture and and get all of the upsides so right. um, would you say that you like fully crashed crashed and burned and you're like I'm done I'm broken I need to go like lick my wounds somewhere and give, give us the low low yeah, so the, the low low, I remember, I was, I was thinking to myself, like after that event, the event went really well. It did, it was awesome. Yeah, um, but after that event, shortly after we dove into his next book, The 4-Hour Chef, mm -hmm. and we were working on that for a while, and I remember thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be able, like, I, I feel different yeah. after that event because of how hard I pushed myself. I know how intensely uh, Tim goes after making a great book. Yeah. And I know the ride in front of me, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. Yeah. And, um, and so I remember there was this one weekend where um, a family member passed away, a uh, close friend of mine attempted suicide, and then like the, the deadline for the four hour chef got pushed back six months. And I, was just, I, t I told Tim, I was like, I got to take the next week off or something because I just don't, I don't know. I don't know. And, and then I came back from that week, you know, like going to meet up with Tim. I was like shaking because I decided I had to quit. Yeah. Because I, I was just toast. Yeah. I was done. I was a wreck. I was super fragile and um, spent a long time after that. Uh, just kind of spinning out and trying to figure out what was going on with me and, yeah. and how I'd felt, which I'd never felt that way before. Yeah. And yeah, that was that was really kind of the lowest point, I think, or one of them. Yeah. yeah. Well, what what helped you turn it around? Like, what was the when you said you were spinning? And let's just, you know, I don't want to glorify it, but. Or I don't want to linger on it too much, but sure. also I don't want to glorify it. You're you're spun out. You're like, I'm broken. Yeah. Um, was what helped you get through it? 
you know, yeah. and, and what did it look like when you realized something and you started sort of climbing back out of the hole? Sure, yeah, so I'll, t I'll tell you what, what got me out. Okay. Uh, but first, I do want to note, there were a lot of things that I tried, like basically everything that doctors tell you to try. If you're yeah. anxious, depressed, like you name it, I did it. Yeah. And none of it really worked. Uh, it would work for like a few hours or maybe a couple of days. And what were was, some of the things that you tried? Uh, yoga, meditation, therapy, journaling, uh, going on extreme um, diets, trying every supplement you can list, uh, all, all forms of exercise. I was volunteering, I was praying, I was... Uh, I was doing flotation tanks regularly. <laughs> okay, um, this is a good list. Psychedelics. Yeah. I, y y you name it. Yeah, I, d I did it. Okay, and um, I even took a six-week course. Once I realized it was like anxiety, mm -hmm. um, I took a six-week course for men struggling with anxiety. That didn't work. I saw my doctor. That was the first step. I saw my doctor, and she was like, "Hey, take these pills." And then I looked up the pills, and it was like. Wow, yeah. these are some gnarly side effects. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little afraid of taking these, so I decided to go the natural out. What what worked uh, to your to your question yeah. um, was play, and I I discovered it at a friend's house at Tucker Max's apartment. He on his bookshelf had this book, Play by Stuart Brown. Mm -hmm. Sat down, read the book in a sitting, and it just it was like so obvious. This book is, it, it talks about the evolutionary benefits of play and like why play is the key to creativity. It's why human beings are able to bond with each other and form communities and connections and like play is this essential ingredient in life. Like you can deny work. A person can go their whole life without working. Human beings are designed to play. Like you cannot prevent a person from playing. And uh, they have done tests on animals, where uh, primates and lab rats, where they stop them from playing. They give them everything else that they want. They give them uh, food, water, love, nurturing, shelter, everything that they need. But when they stop them from playing, they develop uh, emotional and social uh, handicaps. They're crippled. They wow. lash out at their environment. They're afraid to explore. They're afraid to interact with their with their uh, peers, and then they'll just like lash out angrily at them. And I, I started digging more and more into like play deprivation. What happens? There's another great guy. Have you heard of uh, Dr. Peter Gray? No. He's a play researcher as well, and he's he's measured and and studied like what happens, um, how our schools have changed okay. from the 1950s up until now, and Across the board, play has plummeted, and anxiety and depression in kids has gone up. And obviously, like correlation doesn't equal causation, but the correlation is very tight. As play goes down, mental illness goes up. And so I started thinking to myself, maybe this is all I got to do. Maybe I just add play back into my life. And as I started adding it back in every day, within a month, I had no symptoms really of major anxiety or any I just felt normal again and I was back to who I was so a thank you for sharing that yeah uh, B um, when 
I, I don't know if I think you sent me a draft of the book before you released it. The book is called Play It Away. Mm -hmm. And you know, in the intro, I said it was like one of the more profound books that's affected me. And you know, this is why I'm going to connect a couple of dots we've talked about here. I'm going to try. So we talked about cultural, the, the, the nature of culture right now is sort of comparing ourselves to others. Like there's a lot of benefits of social, but there's also the challenge of you're looking at your real life and everybody else's highlight reel, and um, the fact that we're, you know, working so much, and that with technology there's all kinds of upside, but there's also uh, isolation and, and plenty of downside. And when the book came out, I, I am a Type A person. I am. I have a ton of energy, and I. I would never have described and speak in front of 10,000 people. I would never describe myself as having anxiety right. until I started like feeling different and I thought different was part of success like as the as I, no I really right. did. Yeah. I really did. It's like, "Oh wow, Just this is a up. this is a byproduct of success yeah. is maybe it's intensity or yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the thing is." And I don't. I still, to this day, don't do a very good job of describing it. Um, but what I felt was there was, you know, a hamster wheel, and and it was self-talk, and it wasn't bad. It wasn't like you're horrible, but it was like did you do this and this and this, and when this yeah. the stakes are high here, and you got it's like kind of the, what you described earlier is like when you're planning that event, you know, like you can't drop this ball, and I got to make this, and this is really important, and what if I, you know, and I realized that that. So that was a that was a nonstop dialogue in my head, and that that actually equaled anxiety. That was anxiety just sort of sitting in my back pocket, going everywhere with wow. me. And the certainly I, I had gone through some hard shit. And when your career is on eleven, and this is the soundtrack that's in your brain, and everyone else is like, "Oh my God, you're like, killing you're it! You're killing it! Things are <laughs> blowing up!" You get this weird association with I don't want to give up all the rewards that social rewards that I'm getting right you know let alone money or uh, or attention or fame or whatever the thing is and when you sort of there's this correlation of that positive with the negative that's going on in your brain and there's for me it was this, yeah. this dissonance like something is off I read your book and I was like holy crap that's What's happening? Wow. This is this is anxiety. And again, to this day, I don't consider myself an anxious person, but I learned that anxiety is like right under the surface for so many people. And yeah. whether it's, I don't know if you, I don't even want to use the word diagnosis, but I, I get the sense that it was a little different for you. That you were aware that this is anxiety. I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeking, you know, medical professions, and I'm, you know, seeking therapists and whatnot. And it sounds like your play it was a very, very intentional thing. Like I'm going to try this. Yeah. And so, what I'm going to this is the leap here. This is my my two minute monologue here. Is that you, whether intentionally, you have anxiety and you suffer from it, and you can get out of it through play, or if any things that any of the things that I described, like just that running monologue and self-talk, it's not worrying. Yeah, constant worrying. Yeah. Like what I would encourage anyone who's listening or watching to take up play. Yeah. And let's so now I'm gonna hand the ball back to you and say, 
So what were some of the things so, that you did? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, take just, away. To, uh, just to add to what yeah. you, were, you were saying is, um, I think it's important for not only the people who, who are having the constant worrying like you're talking about, yeah. but it, it, some people who are watching, I'm sure, are like, I'm anxious and I, I feel anxious. Yeah. It's a feeling. It's not the constant. There's like uh, the, the rapid heartbeats, short, sensation, breath. short breath, that sort of thing. It applies to both. Yeah. Right? Play, can, play can help both. Yeah, fair. So, yeah. so now let's get real tactical. Yeah. So what did you act? Because saying, I played, <laughs> right. is very ambiguous. And right. And it sounds a little right childish. Like, right? Yeah, you're, you're, we're playing. <laughs> like, what is, what is play? It sounds yeah. childish. You're, you're yeah. right. Um, There's a lot of stigma around the word. Yeah. <laughs> let's go play. You're right. Play house. Play dolls. Play football. Play... So... What did you when you said you started to introduce play into your yeah. day? Get tactical. What does that mean? What did well, you it's do? just mostly played house. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So for for everybody, it's what what is your play history? When you were a kid, when adults weren't forcing you to do anything, you weren't getting graded, you weren't getting judged. Like, mm-hmm. what were the things that you and your friends were just naturally drawn to and yeah. would do for hours and hours at a time because it was fun and like puts you just naturally in a flow. Yeah. Right. So for me, that was, that was the first step was reassessing like, okay, I know who I am. I just have not been in touch with that individual Mm -hmm. for a while. And so when I did that exercise, I found, uh, playing catch, playing home run derby were, were two big ones. I, I created art uh, I built things with my hands. And this is your, sorry to interrupt you. So yeah. you're looking, you're just like, what did I do when I was When 12 I was growing up. Yeah. To bring joy when I had a lot of time. Yeah. And what was the, like, you look back, you go, oh my God, that was fun. Whether it was like riding a little mini bike around in the backyard or right. like you said, playing wiffle ball or whatever. It's like yeah. literally go back and survey the things in your in your history. What did we spend the most time on? And it gave me this cool excuse to call up my, some of my childhood friends. And I was just asking them, like, what do you remember us doing? And they were like, dude, you played so many freaking pranks on us. Like, it just drove <laughs> us nuts. Uh, and th- so pranks, practical jokes. Um, I loved d- doing sketches, like filming sketches with my friends. Okay. So it was, I had this list of things that I just hadn't done in a long time. Yeah. Or if I had done them, I didn't allow myself to enjoy them. Interesting. So I was, I was my mind was always either backtracking on the stuff that I'd screwed up mm-hmm. or Playing the work the that I needed to be yeah. doing in the future. So, yeah. How, how, how much do, um, what's the connection, if any, and none is a fine answer, by the way, but what's the connection or do you see a connection between sort of mindfulness and presence and your experience with play? Hundred percent, yeah. Because yeah. it brings you into the present yeah. if you allow it. You know, if you're yeah. if you're enjoying yourself, if you're enjoying your life, you're not in the future. <laughs> yeah, you're present. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, and play play is just an activity that just brings you straight into mindfulness. Like, and or it could be work. You know, yeah. it can be conscious work where you're just fully present. So, it, to answer your question of what I was doing, so. I just, I just started looking at, I, I, I thought, I'm just going to view the world in terms of play. So work opportunities are play opportunities. People are potential playmates. 
world's a playground, not a prison, the way I've been thinking of it uh, yeah. in, in this place that where things can go wrong. Um, and, and people are not transactional. So the next day, a friend of mine introduced me to his friend, because I had just moved to Austin. Okay. He said, you got to meet this guy. And he was like, hey, let's, let's go uh, over, let's ha meet up and have coffee. And talk about how impressive we are to each other. Yeah. And uh, I, I wrote back to him and said, why don't, why don't we go play catch at the park instead? And he was like, hell yes, let's do it. So we, we ended up doing that. And after that experience, I came back and I, I like felt vis noticeably lighter. And um, so I just kept doubling down on that. So I, I signed up for improv and that was extremely liberating. That was like tapping back into my soul. Uh -huh. uh, Tucker and I were playing home run derby on the weekends. And I used that example when yeah. I, and, and before we started recording, uh, Nasi here's who, who's behind one of the cameras was saying like, Andrew Chase is always talking about the book that you yeah. wrote, Play It Away, um, and this follow-up called Play For A Living, where like almost like goofing off is a way of you know furthering human connection. And what I've also found in employing a lot of these techniques that you're talking about is not only do I bring joy to myself, but when you, like the example that you just gave about, hey, let's meet up for coffee. When you say, let's actually, we'll talk about whatever you talk about, let's go, go play catch at the park, or let's go shoot baskets, or let's, or you know, walking, or walking meeting, yeah, or yeah. ping pong meeting, or like, what I have found is that the other person, you rock them out of the sort of the normal rut. And, and when you have a walking meeting or you say, let's you know, go play catch the park while we're talking, it, it has this sort of experience of bringing others along and getting them out of their world. And so there's this sort of other positive juice that you get because you're like, oh my God, that was so awesome. Thank you for like, or a walking meeting or whatever, just something that's different. Um, and that was a, like a side benefit that I got. Um, specifically, home run derby to me is hilarious. Like, and that is just, you, you went and bought a bunch of baseballs and some bats, yeah. and then you'd just take turns with your buddy pitching, and then you'd hit them all over the park yeah. and go pick them up and trade. Right? I did that every week with my friends growing up. Like, we loved it. And my backyard was perfectly designed for that. And it drove our neighbors sort of nuts, but of our whole neighborhood was friends, so we were pelting tennis balls into their windows. And, but uh, this is, a, so this is, yeah. as a full-grown adult, you went back to the things that brought you joy as a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've, I've heard from, I mean, that book's been out for a few years now. I've heard from a lot of people mm -hmm. who've, had those experiences that you talked about. Like I've, I've heard from sales guys who are like, I'm really good friends with my clients now. Yeah. I've never had that before because we changed how we did meetings. Uh -huh. uh, I had a guy who was like, I, <laughs> I was able to get a girlfriend because we went on a, like, a catch date or what, you know, yeah. they, they actually did fun stuff rather than going to a bar and like, let's stare at each other and drink alcohol to <laughs> Calm our nerves. <laughs> right, until we can't remember why we were there in the first right. place. Yeah, um, so it's just, it's like such a simple, easy thing to do. And so this, um, within 30 days, yeah. when, how long have you been suffering? About a year and a half. Yeah, so yeah. would you call it depression? Would you call it anxiety? It was, it was a little bit of both, yeah. you know. Uh, it was primarily anxiety. Mm -hmm. Like, when I say anxiety, I think that word, 
unusually gets thrown out a lot yeah, these days. Like casual. people will be like, oh, I'm going to have a panic attack if I don't blah, blah. It's like, no, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. not like that. Yeah. Um, it was debilitating. Yeah. It was it was to the point where I was afraid to interact with people because I always felt like they were judging me or criticizing me or like about to it was this weird feeling like I was about to get attacked. Mm. It's exactly like those uh, like the lab rats and stuff like it yeah. was that primal fear that just sort of dissipated and, and went away. Yeah, I think I've heard anxiety described as like you're planning for or maybe this is just a sort of an aphorism you're like most of anxiety is planning for things that never happen. Mm -hmm. And so you're always solving problems that aren't there. Like, right. what if that person over there attacks me, then I'm gonna you know, go over here and do this. Basically, or if, every prepper is yeah. <laughs> struggling with emotional issues that they're not yeah. addressing. Uh, and so within 30 days, by simply introducing play, you, I don't know, would you, do you use the word cured or fixed or were yourself again? Or For like, myself, it was cured. Yeah. It, it, it was cured because I knew if I ever had that sensation again, mm -hmm. I had zero fear of it taking over my life. You had a solution. And I knew it worked. Yeah. Um, here's a confession that sounds a little bit too organic. I'm very happy to, to share this with you, yeah. is that because of your book, I, I track 10 habits that I do every day. Um, you know, one is try and be in bed for eight hours. Not, not necessarily sleep, because I don't right. think I can do that, but try and be in bed, and if I can, great. And I meditate in the morning and the evening, and there's a, a list, of, it's, I've shared it pretty widely. And on that list is play. And because of your book, I try to play every day. And the way that I track this is not sort of did I play accidentally, but did I play intentionally? Yeah. Did I say, I'm going to look at this as a game, and I'm going to try and make it fun and goofy. That's awesome. And whether do you have your phone? I do. Can I see the, like, sure. how the progress is sure. going? Sure. What, what have been some of the things that you've intentionally played? Um, so... This, I'm, I'm, for those of you who are listening and not watching, um, I'm, I use a, uh, an app called Habit List, which I've talked wi widely about. Yeah. Um, You're five days in a row on Play or Make. Yep. That's and, pretty good. Yeah. And the, if you track it, I don't remember how. Oops. That's not what I was looking for. <laughs> where's my data? Oh, there you go. Oh, nice. So, hold that up to the camera. Yeah, That's real know. good. So those are all the green or in the sense we're black and white, this is all the light gray <laughs> highlighted areas are. So I've, I didn't play on the 5th of September. I didn't play on the 8th of September and the 13th, but all the other um, are, are clear examples of play. Glass half full. Yeah. yeah you got a lot. There you go. <laughs> right. And so A, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled. B, that has been a massive catalyst for me, I think, creatively. Um, and it is the sort of the, the lightness with which it reminds you to live life. And it's both overt and sort of subtle that when you're playing and you can laugh intentionally, remember this is not just, did I have fun? And this is like, did I say, you know, I'm gonna make something. Right. Or I'm gonna go goof off with my friends even if it's just for 30 minutes or I'm gonna uh, send five friends funny internet videos or, or, or do something that is uh, goofing off. 
that it has wildly transformed my life. So I've been wanting to have you on the show since then. So A, thank you for making time. Thank you. Um, Can you tell a quick story about a time where it really stood out to you? Sure. That you did that? Um, I'll use Home Run Derby as an example. Nice. And it was not too long ago. Um, it, again, I've been doing this now for, I think I've been tracking data for about two years. Um, but this was something that was really recent and it was Home Run Derby. And I use Home Run Derby and I say, oh yeah, my friend Charlie wrote this book and you know, when you're thinking about playing, you know, for Charlie it was Home Run Derby, something he did every, you know, a, a couple times a week when he was a kid growing up. And the philosophy is really simple. You look at what brought you joy as a child and you go do that as an adult and you feel like you're getting away with something and you know, it's light and you, you bring you know, work and those two things together. And so for me, I had been tracking my data for two years. I was realizing that I was about to play in a celebrity softball tournament um, at Safeco Field in Seattle with, yeah. you know, before uh, um, uh, an event. So they were like you know, many thousands, if not 10,000 people. And I was with, you know, the Macklemores and the Seahawks and the, you know, I'm, I don't know how I ended up on, on this side. A friend of mine puts the, puts the charity, it's a charity event. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself like, oh man, I'm gonna have to take, you know, I'm gonna have to hit a baseball in front of 10,000 people. And I haven't hit a baseball since I was like, 15 or 18, right. so I, I should probably do that. And it was like, wait a minute. Like, this is literally, and I've been, again, I've been tracking my habit for a long time, playing. I've been training for yeah. this moment. <laughs> but I, I was thinking like, I'm gonna actually do home run derby. So um, a close friend of mine and, and the COO of Creative Live, uh, a guy named Mac Azadi, who's an incredible human, um, he makes the operations and the, all the day-to-day -day stuff happen at Creative Live, an incredible operator and great human. His son is on a baseball team and they have a coach. And you know, after we got out of work at Creative Live and we went and, and picked his son up and I, I saw his baseball coach and I was like, is it kind of weird? Like, I've got this thing coming. I, I used the game as an excuse to play home run derby, but I asked if I could hire their hitting coach. Yeah to take me to a park and pitch softballs to me for an hour while I just roped them all over the place. And it was, again, I used the ruse of, I've got this you know, celebrity softball tournament, I don't want to embarrass myself. <laughs> right. But it was in part just absolute joy. And yeah. I, so the guy was awesome. He got me back into my little hitting, uh, you know, my, my groove that I was in when I was a uh, younger human. And it was unbelievable. It was the most fun I've had That's in an awesome. hour in so long. And it was like, I used your example literally as a thing. Like, I'm going to do that. And I'm, you know, I used money to pay for it. I don't, yeah. I don't own a hundred baseballs and a bunch of aluminum bats. And I don't have a friend who's, you know, good enough to throw, you know, strikes over and over and over so I can just rope them all the field. But I did it. <laughs> and it was incredibly joyful. I will say that... Uh, when I actually got to the game, I had one single little grounder and I had a line drive shot that was going over the fence and it was literally caught at the fence by Jay Buhner, a, oh, a, that is major, an honor. a major, an like honor. a major league center fielder who is now retired and was part of this, part That's of the charity. So cool. And he only got it off a dead sprint. I was like, really, Jay Buhner, you like ripped Buhner. off my home run? <laughs> but. The point is not the result, the point is the play. And so 
Um, that's so cool. Thank you for, for oh, sharing. What a trip, that. man. Yeah. That's, that like blows my mind. It's literally there, home run derby. There's, <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I mean, you write, a, you write a book and you're like, this is such a pain in the ass. And then you hear stories like this years later, you're like, oh, Absolutely so, worth so it. glad I did Absolutely that. Absolutely yeah, worth it. That's amazing. Um, I love that. Well, what I'd like to do now is talk a little bit about, you know, is it fair to consider this an extension of Play It Away? Yeah, so in Play It Away, there's a section that I loved, which was quotes from the, our world's greatest workers that I was showing like, no, these, these guys are the greatest players. They yeah. loved their jobs. They, yeah. they, they thought of work as a game and they used it as a vehicle to have fun. Yeah. And um, I love that part of, of Play It Away, so I made it into initially like uh, a slide share and that blew up and so I realized, oh, it would be really cool as a book. And that's how it got started. So it's called Play For a Living. Mm -hmm. Um, you had a co-author here, McKenna Bailey. Yeah, she was she was the project manager, okay. and it, when it hit a point where I was like, "Look, you're co-author. Yeah, your, your so name's much on work. this thing. Yeah. Your name's on this thing." <laughs> um, quotes from people who found their joy in their work and changed the world. So, yeah. um, give folks at home who can't, who are listening right now, who can't see this, uh, describe it. It's basically a quote, and then art from how many different artists? Forty-three artists around the world contributed to. Every child, this is a Picasso quote I'm reading here, every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist once he or she grows up. Yeah. Um, Steve Martin, I loved to make people laugh in high school and then I found I loved being on stage in front of people. Uh, Peter Jackson, the most honest form of filmmaking is to make a film for yourself. And this is you know, great, this is like 8-bit emoji art here. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, I tried to have uh, the artists match the personality to kind of capture the essence of the person and um, really I mean to, to that Peter Jackson quote I feel like the most honest uh, form of writing is to make a book for yourself yeah and I, I definitely made that book primarily for myself as just a reminder and um, just something to to turn to throughout throughout life and Ended up just being a really fun group project. Oh, it's it's beautiful, and and as we were joking, I think before we turned the cameras on, like maybe maybe after the cameras on, I, I forget where we turned them on. It's our recordings <laughs> we were talking before, but like that your friend's kid stole the book and won't give yeah. it back. Like kids, they got no they they it's it's real, right? If they yeah. love it, and it's such it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, congratulations. On yeah. That. It's, and what's the best place for people to pick that up if they wanted to pick that and or play it away? It's on Amazon now. Okay. Uh, it just went on Amazon, so you can get it there. Um, both both books, of course. I did, I launched that on Kickstarter uh, earlier this year mm -hmm. while while my wife was pregnant. I had to make the decision. I was like, I either have to come out with this thing before the kid or after the kid. I don't think it's going to happen if it comes out after the kid. So. I gotta launch this thing now. So April was one of the, one of those tough months. <laughs> yeah. Well, I before I let you go, I want to pick your brain on a handful of personal things because I like talking about work and theoreticals and mm -hmm. all that stuff. But a um, couple of sort of tactical questions that you can answer for the folks at home. Um, you mentioned speaking of family and having a child. A congratulations. Thank you. Um, you're three months in. Three months. You look great for a three-month, like a father who's <laughs> got a three-month-old. Back on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> so number Not two. Really. Yeah, yeah. Really. Number two <laughs> is, um, but we were talking about 
you've got a, a thing that you do with your family. Yeah. And it's a maybe um, it's a, a derivative of like a family board meeting. Yeah. I thought that was fascinating. I thought folks at home might find this interesting. So can you yeah. share that? So my friend Jim wrote a book called Family Board Meeting. I actually met him at an American Dream U event. Nice. Uh, and which is he takes his family out uh, once a quarter, does a special day. And I thought, every quarter, it needs to be more frequent than that. So my wife and I do uh, what we call a marriage meeting, okay. where we compartmentalize like our finances, ways we can... Uh, the responsible, like, Yeah, the responsible adult things that come up. marriage, yeah. Yeah, so we, uh, we set an agenda basically throughout the week. Like, here are all the things that we want to cover, um, and, and then we, every Sunday, we'll go somewhere kind of fun and uh, somewhere scenic, and then we'll just have this meeting. And sometimes it's 45 minutes, other times it's been three hours where wow. we're just talking about stuff. And What are some of the things that are on your agenda? Uh, some of the things on our agenda, not, so... It doesn't have to be per, like private, I'm not asking you to share. <laughs> right. like, we gotta work on that you know, yeah. personal problem. Something no. deeply yeah. personal. Um, we, we've had ideas, like we're, right now we're researching, uh, just, just learning about co-working spaces, because yep. we're just both interested, and, and both of us, like, she's an interior designer for Gensler, which is this huge uh, architectural firm. She's done work for Facebook, and she, like, I was working at WeWork earlier uh, okay. in the year, and she's like, oh yeah, I worked on that. Uh, and so. Both of us are just learning about it because we want to and, yeah. and to see potentially there could be some business thing there. But what one of the cool things that came out of it was we, we were talking about finances a lot. So we've been doing this for about nine months now. Mm-hmm. And we realized we, the problem with some of the spending stuff that, that we kept visiting was we just don't have a dashboard. We don't see that number throughout the week, like yeah. at any given time. You have to like go out of your way. So we mounted an iPad in our kitchen that has Mint up 24 hours a day so that we can always see what the number is. Your finances. Yeah, yeah. we can always access it and it's, and it's easy. That alone has just like diminished our stress, right? Yeah. And, and most people like, will avoid financial stuff because yeah. they're like, oh, it's a mess, I just yeah. don't want to look at it. But like, you can't make it better unless you're confronting it on, yeah. a, on a daily basis. So you talk about like family meetings and vacations and finances mm-hmm. and uh, lists of stuff to do, and you compartmentalize that, and then it allows you to enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the rest of the week, yeah, because yeah. stuff will come up and we'll just be like, put it in, put it in the meeting. The yeah. meeting, the meeting. Yeah, because if you get a bill, like, uh, uh, if if you get a yep. traffic ticket or yeah. something and you ran through a red light and it's a couple hundred bucks, you're like, oh, it, <laughs> you don't want to fight about it. Then just put it put it aside. Talk about it. Save it for the dedicated time. Cool. That's a beautiful technique. Thank you for sharing uh, yeah. that. Um, what what are you doing for play now? Let's like list a couple of uh, a couple of things that are maybe new to you. We talked a lot about home run yeah. derby, but something different. Sure. I mean, I've, give some folks at home some ideas. Uh, right now, honestly, uh, one of the big, it sounds so ridiculous, but uh, when I wake up in the morning, I change my daughter's diaper, mm-hmm. and her, the look on her face when she sees me every morning is like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest moment. Like, she's so happy to see me. Uh-huh. 
And so, like, starting out my day is immediately, like, me just, like, to go be with playing her. with her, basically. Yeah. Uh, I have dogs. Um, we play together. <laughs> but I, I host a thing. I've done this for the past few years, uh, a group called The Recess Project, which is basically, like, we go to Zilker Park in Austin. Okay. Have you been to Zilker? Uh-uh. You have to go, man. All right. This is my number one favorite place Okay, my next trip. I'm on a yeah. plane here in three hours, so my yeah. next trip. So it's this big, beautiful park. You can walk around barefoot. Uh, it's, it's so fun. Um, and so every other week, I'll go there uh, with friends. All in, I've got a Facebook group now that uh, has swelled over the years, but uh, it's not that big. But um, people come, they show up, and we just play catch. We, we uh, play soccer. We'll, the Recess Club? The Recess Project. Project. Yeah, so it's just a dedicated group to it was really to hold me kind of accountable and to keep and playing. Keep, yeah. Um, so that's, that's so the big one. Books, uh, inspiration, what's, what's on your hot list right now? And I know like it doesn't have to be the best mm. or the thing. It's just like give, again, keeping tactical and what's inspiring yeah. you right now. What's inspiring me? So I've been doing a, a podcast oh, cool. for, for my job called Author Hour. Oh, wow. And I just talk to authors a couple times a week, and I just get to, like, I basically get them to deliver their book in conversation form to me, which has, like, been really uh, expansive and, and wonderful, like, or it's expanded my thinking in a lot of areas, and um, that's been really wonderful to me personally because I, I always have a long reading list. Yeah. And so to like nonviolent communication, the book has been on my to-do list for like ever. Yep. And then I got to talk to a guy who runs the nonviolent communication center in New York because the guy who wrote the book uh, has passed away. Yes. So he's like so just being able to talk to authors like is, has been awesome. Can I share that nonviolent yeah. communication was something that was on my, my wife and I have a list of just a couple of goals each. We try and keep yeah. it pretty tight each year. And we made that, like reading that book, the seminal book, and putting that into practice as a daily habit. Hmm. And something that we were going to, at the end of the year, we could look back and say that it's, and it has been huge, hugely impactful. Sure. Um, just the fact, uh, there's a couple key principles in nonviolent communications, like observe without judging, and you're, so you're looking around at, at, like, why am I feeling like this? What's happening? Um, help me with this one. The second one is stating, um, the third one is, is human needs. The second one is... Uh, I can't here. recall. Yeah, no, 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 I want to do this. <laughs> yeah. um, it's in my... No, I'm gonna look at my... The wording is important because I want to yeah. make sure to get it right. Watch this here. One second here. This is how close it is. The word is right. Okay, so I identify and express your feelings, not your thoughts. If you're saying, I think that every time you do this, like that's not, that's A, it's about you. So I'm using the word you and I'm saying what I think versus if you say, right. when you do this, I feel scared. Yeah. There's, there are like actual, like I feel afraid, I feel hurt, I feel upset, I feel nervous yep. or, and it, make it about you as yeah, opposed yeah, to yeah. the other person. Totally. Or you're observing and I observe that when this happens, um, yeah. When you, when you assign a feeling, what it does, and you put it on you, the other person is immediately more disarmed. They're not, their hackles aren't up. Right. Then the third step is saying what, um, understanding rather what human need 
it's violating. Like, mm. um, like I, I need to feel safe. Um, when you do this thing, it makes me feel scared, and that makes when I feel scared, I feel unsafe. Right. And so next time, could and then you make a request that would make your life better in some way, shape, or form. And that yeah. is a so next time, um, if you you know you have something, some criticism for me, could could we say it? Could you say it in a different way? So is it with you and your wife? Is it yeah. pretty fluent now? We, we, actually, it's not. And so okay. we're, we're, it's September. And we work on this for nine months, and it's still very intentional. We walk one another, and we, we find we're in, in a disagreement or when we're observing something else, and we hear the other person going down a bad path. Like, words matter, and words matter deeply in your psychology. So, how can you change this and frame it in terms of nonviolent communication? Um, so, it's still an exercise that we feel like we're doing, mm -hmm. but so powerful. And I've used it in like expressing how I feel. It is so, uh, it, it helps me feel better and it, I think it, it contributes to vulnerability which increases connection. Um, and in observing other people who are struggling with that, I've used it in, in like a professional setting and it has completely disarmed what would historically have been a really volatile situation where you mm -hmm. start saying like, you know, I think something, right. I think you're pissed yeah, you know, like to me, that's like a thinking is not feeling, and so when you say you're thinking, you're ascribing that to somebody else, and then when you're right. saying things like, and in, in you, you're saying I yeah. think, therefore I judge. Yes, there's rather judgment than in it there. Seems like, yeah. or I'm observing that. Right. Yeah. Um, rabbit hole, but yeah. I think the the point of your ability in this podcast to connect with cool, interesting people. I just wanted to share that nonviolent communication. This is like a side recommendation. And this is a no. A, it's a good one. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a technique that was. What's the author's name who wrote the book? Uh, Marshall um, Rosenberg. I, I think say. you're right. Yeah. Or Rosenthal. Rosenthal. One of, one of the, yeah. yeah. Um, um, to, to add to what you're talking yes. about, it, so communication during hard conversations, yes. volatile conversations. Have you read Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss? Uh, I see Chris in my social feed. I follow him, and I've read secondary materials of it. I haven't read the the, the source text. The book is pretty mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. Never so, split the difference. Yeah. So th his background is he's obviously FBI hostage negotiator. Yeah. Yep. So he's got some crazy stories, yeah. and his breakdown of of these types of conversations was I've I've found extremely helpful. As well. Sweet. Yeah. Some what, about, what about you? What are you reading these days? Uh, well, just nonviolent communication is that's something that, that's. Um, I think I'm, I'm putting that into practice. I've always I've always got three or four books. Brene's, Brene Brown's um, most recent yeah, book, what's her next Braving, one? Braving the Wilderness. Braving the Wilderness. Um, it's uh, you know the wilderness has always been this great metaphor. Yeah. For like solitude and adventure and um, and so many things that we think about like on the hero's journey, ding ding, oops, that was bad. <laughs> um, and what you know she has done with braving the wilderness is helped people understand that it's not that you are in the wilderness, it's that you are the wilderness. So what can you do to um, you know stay true to yourself and be wild rather than you know allow yourself to be in the wild, like the wild heart? What does that mean? Um, awesome book, uh, Perennial Seller, Ryan Holiday. Um, 
it's about making work that is um, meaningful to you and has lasting power rather than a flash in the pan, like how to do Facebook posts or something like that, <laughs> ver, you know, versus like, what does it mean to uh, turn 30? Because there's always someone who's turning 30, and so how can you make this a classic? Yeah, yeah. Like communication, people are always going to communicate, so nonviolent communication, for example. So yeah. um, those are a couple of the hot ones recently. Um, cool. But thanks for asking. Grateful to have you on the show. Thank you very much so once again. Play, play for a living um, and play it away to amazing books you should check out. And what's the place they can follow you? You're just at Charlie Hone? CharlieHone.com. H-O-E-H-N? H-O-E-H-N. There you go. And anywhere else you want to send folks? Amazon to get the books? Yeah, go on Amazon and get the book. That would be awesome. And if, uh, if you're a company that needs an annual retreat gift, yeah. boom. It's beautiful. Hit me up. Play for a living. Beautiful. <laughs> the sirens are—they're coming. Is that the—is that the signal that the show's over? I think so. <laughs> I think so. Thanks again for being on the show. Thank Charlie. you so much. Appreciate Chase. it. Buddy. This is great. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say a a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this also. Uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platform. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.